Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Coastal Church. Good to see you. Um, I hope you brought your Bible this morning. If you didn't, there's one in a chair in front of you. Get that out and follow along with me. Uh, turn to Romans 9. Every so often at Coastal, as the pastor, I have to be the boss. And so I put my foot down this week and said, Joey, we need to sing that song you taught us a week or so ago. And so that's Joey's song, and I love that song. So I hope you enjoyed it, and we're going to keep learning that because there's some great truths in there about God. And I always love what Joey says. We're going to sing truths about God to God, and uh, that fills our hearts. So, so thank you for that. Uh, Romans chapter 9. All right, I'm going to pick up where I left off. Um, uh, two weeks ago, we finished up Romans 8, and we're going to look into Romans 9, and there's a handout in your bulletin. You can follow along with me. There's probably a copy of God's Word in front of you. If you don't have one, uh, follow along with me there. And uh, while you're kind of multitasking, I just want to remind you, I know many of you, all, many of you have been praying for our team in Honduras, and uh, if you haven't up, updated, they're there they're fine, and, and uh, they're doing ministry, and it's been a great week. I would encourage you, if you've been praying for them, or uh, if you've forgotten, go to our Facebook page, okay? There's a great spot there on Coastal's Facebook page. They're updating us almost every day with some photos and things like that, and so just really encourage you to follow their mission trip, and they should be home fri- uh, Friday night late or early Saturday morning, okay, for those of you who've been praying, so thank you for that. Uh, Romans 9 is a difficult passage, so if you're a guest with us this morning, I, uh, we are going to grapple this morning in my opinion, one of the most difficult passages in the New Testament. In fact, in my 12 years of being pastor here, I've just managed to avoid it, okay, because I didn't want to preach on it. And uh, and when we delve into the book of Romans this summer, knowing we go through it all through the summer, I knew I was going to have to tackle it. And uh, in fact, last night I had one of our church members leave, and and they said, you know, in all my years of reading Romans, he said, I honestly, I have skipped uh, many times from Romans chapter 8 right over to Romans chapter 10. I've just avoided this topic altogether. And, and uh, so my hope this morning is that you won't shoot the messenger, okay? Uh, I'm just here to tackle this passage. I, um, uh, you're, I've told you the story before, but it's, it's a kind of a great way to lead into this sermon here uh, this morning. When my son was about five, I'd put him to bed. And uh, he yelled, I thought he was asleep, I was watching some sports, my wife was out, and he yells downstairs, Dad, hey Dad, I got a question. And I said, go over to the stairwell, and I said, you have a question? Why aren't you asleep? He goes, well, I have a question, something I've been thinking about. I said, what have you been thinking about? He goes, I've been wondering, Dad, how babies get out of mommy's tummies. And that was his question, and of course... I definitely sidestepped the question by saying, well, listen, uh, you need to ask mom tomorrow morning. And my hope was that he would forget about it through this night's sleep, which he did. But, you know, I wasn't just kicking the can down the road. I I understood, too, that explaining that truth to him in his five-year-old mind was going to be incredibly difficult, right? And so there was a part of me that was like, you know, we need to kick this question down the road until he's a little bit older, you know, maybe 20 or 30 years when he's 25 or 30, and we'll handle it then. But, um, you know, I've realized, man, this is going to be a tough thing for him to get his mind around. This morning, we are going to look at Romans 9 and this letter that Paul wrote to the Church of Rome, and I'm going to tell you, you're going to leave here and you're going to go, man, I have a hard time getting my mind around this passage. The reason that we find this passage so difficult, I believe, is a couple things. Number one, if you're here at Coastal, this is your home church, and, and you're a follower of Jesus, and you're like me, you know, we consider the Bible to be God's word. And as God's word, we, we consider it to be true. We consider it to be trustworthy. We consider it to be righteous. We consider it to be good. And in those, we take the word of God seriously, right? And I know many of you in this room are like, yes, that's where I am. And so we find this passage difficult, not because it's 
difficult in its plain reading and understanding. We find this passage difficult because it's incredibly clear about how God works over people and over mankind and works out salvation. The difficulty is in its clarity. The difficulty is in our acceptance of Romans 9. And so we find this difficult But I want to encourage us that I believe what God is teaching us or what Paul is teaching this church in Rome is that we worship the God who is and not the God we want. And so this morning we're going to kind of unpack some truths about the God who is. And so I'm just going to dive right in. And the first thing I want you to see this morning out of Romans 9 is that God saves man based on on grace and not race, okay? So so let me give it a little context, okay? The first five verses of Romans chapter 9, and I'm not really going to spend a lot of time there, but Paul is acknowledging that the people of Israel for many, many millennia were what we would call the chosen people of God. I mean, we, some of you all probably even said that, you know, isn't Israel, aren't the Jewish people, aren't they, aren't they God's chosen people? How many of you all raise your hand and say, yeah, I've used that line before, right? And so it's interesting because we get comfortable saying that, yet we're not comfortable with what God says in Romans 9 about who God chooses, okay? And so, you know, Paul says, Hey, God gave the people of Israel the covenants, the, the, the promises, the, the temple, uh, the truth, okay? Now, in this passage, there's something really unique happening, okay? Jesus came, and the people of Israel had a hard time accepting Christ as God's son and the message that he brought. And so the gospel message was actually caught fire among the Gentiles. Does that make sense? In fact, if you're here this morning and you're not of Jewish descent, you're here this morning because the gospel and, and the message of Christ really caught fire among the Gentiles. That's why you're here this morning. In fact, I've started this series in Romans by reminding us, like, you sit here some 2,000 years later reaping the blessings of this letter, okay? Because Western culture was so shaped by the book of Romans. And so Paul here is talking to this new church in Rome that is made up of both Jewish and Gentile believers, and the Jewish believers are having a question in their mind and in their heart, like, why is it that the, the message of Christ is not spreading through the Jewish nation, uh, the God's chosen people, if you will? And so in Romans 9, Paul here reminds that God in his salvation of men is based on grace and not race. So in other words, we can't cling to the things we think we can cling to to know God. Some of you are here this morning, maybe you're clinging to tradition, like, well, I grew up in this kind of church, so I know I'm right with God. I grew up an American, so I know I'm right with God, right? You know, whatever you're clinging to, and, and Paul here is teaching, no, the message of the scripture has always been, it's not about tradition or race or whatever, it's about the grace of God working in our heart and a person that repents and believes in the gospel message of Jesus Christ, okay? So look at this in verse 6. Paul says, well, then has God failed to fulfill his promises to Israel? See, that's what these people are starting to ask. Has God failed? He says, no, for not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. What's he talking about here? He's talking about a spiritual rebirth. I wonder here if Paul doesn't have in mind John chapter 3. Remember what Jesus taught in John chapter 3? Nicodemus snuck up at night and he said, listen, you know, what, how's a guy get saved? How's a guy get to be a part of the kingdom of God? And what did Jesus teach Nicodemus in John 3? Remember? He said, you must be what? Anybody know? 
born again, right? And that's where it was, the whole word term born again is like some 70s market slogan going bad, right? But, but that's what Jesus, he's talking about a spiritual rebirth. And so Paul's reminding the people, especially the Jewish believers, it's never been about race. It's always been about the work of God in the hearts of people. And then he says this, he says, verse 7, being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children, Now, remember in Romans chapter 4 and Romans chapter 5 that God uh, illustrated salvation by grace alone through faith alone by using the story of Abraham. Remember, Abraham was told he was going to have a son, and through that son, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And Abraham believed God, and remember what Paul says, and it was credited to, to Abraham as righteousness. And we've been talking about this doctrine of credited righteousness that is given to followers of Christ. And the big word, the big doctrine, now you all are about the validate my existence if you get this right. Remember, we, I've been pointing over here and I've been saying this big doctrine of credited righteousness is called what? What's the doctrinal word? Anybody? Justification. Thank you. Oh, I was about to say my existence means nothing. Okay, so, all right, so justification, right? That's credited righteousness. That's how God has always worked, crediting righteousness by grace alone through faith alone, okay? For the scriptures say, Verse 7, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted, through Abraham, though Abraham had other children. Verse 8, this means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily the children of God. Only the children of promise are considered to be Abraham's children. Verse 9, for God had promised, I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. So let's back up here for a minute. Remember, Abraham was promised. Remember, someone showed up to Abraham and said, listen, you're going to have a, uh, God made a covenant with him, going to bless all the nations through you, Abraham. And he gets older and older, there's no fulfillment of the promise. Finally, an angel shows up when he's about 90 years old and says, this time next year, you're going to have a child. Right? And remember what Abraham did? What did Abraham do? Him and Sarah. They laughed, right? That's ridiculous. We're 90 years old and, you know, we can't even, that doesn't even happen with us anymore, right? Type thing. And you can figure that out later. But uh, so that's basically what happened. And so, you know, and so the next year they had a son and they named him Isaac. And Isaac means to laugh, okay? Verse 10. This son was our ancestor Isaac. And when he married Rebekah, so here's this downline of this promise and this covenant made with Abraham, okay? So when, when Isaac married Rebekah, she gave birth to twins. You see that? So there's two babies in her womb. But before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, she received a message from God. And this message shows that God does what? What's he do? Chooses what? People according to what? His own purposes. Anybody getting uncomfortable now? Getting a little fidgety in their seat? Uh, Romans chapter 8, remember? Verse 8, 828, which we looked at two weeks ago. Remember, we talked about a very important topic there, and we talked, that's a favorite verse of a lot of people, for God causes all things to work together for, to good, for good for those who, what? Remember, love God and are what? Called according to his purposes. So we're beginning to see this, that God is purposing things. God, God, is, God is working out a master plan, and we're going to come back to that in a moment, all right? Verse 12, he calls people but not according to their good or bad works. Now, here's where we all get a little fidgety in our seats, right? She was told, your older son will serve the younger son. Now, let me pause here for a minute. In Bible times, the older son always had the blessings of the family. Always, always, always. And the younger children would serve the oldest son. God here says, listen, I don't have to work based on tradition. The blessings of God and the purposes of God will be carried out however God determines them to be carried out for his name, his fame, and for his glory. 
And so even in this promise that went from Abraham to Isaac to his children, he says, listen, the older son is going to serve the younger son. And by the way, it's not based on anything they did or didn't do. See, we get that really confused. And I talked about that two weeks ago with the word foreknowledge. We talked about how a lot of people take that word and say it means God looked into the future. And I think this verse discounts that completely. God is working on his purposes. He said, your son will serve the younger son. In other words, or in the words of the scriptures... I love Jacob, but I rejected Esau. And so I think Paul here is reminding these people, listen, God works out what he's doing by grace alone. It's not based on tradition. It's not based on race. It's not based on a lot of things we want to base what God has to do for us. And so these Jewish believers were struggling with this concept. Now, for the sake of time this morning, I'm going to skip over John chapter 8, okay? I have that in your notes. I would encourage you when you go home to read that. It's a dialogue that Jesus has with some Jewish people that are struggling with the things that he's teaching, that, hey, the kingdom of God is a spiritual thing. It's not based on race. It's not based on tradition. It's based on God's grace alone. And so Paul's reminding this group that, his, uh, that the work of God is his gracious choice and not a particular race, okay? Now, I want to draw two, and this is where I'm going to park for the rest of the sermon. I want to draw two really important points out of Romans chapter 9 that I think are really important for us to begin to grapple with and to begin to get our hearts around, okay? I think it's the key to this chapter. Okay, number one, Paul begins to answer the chief goal of God. Now, uh, by the way, uh, Romans chapter, let me pause here for a minute. Romans chapter 9 through 11, I believe, is one section where Paul is unpacking the wisdom of God. So here's what we're doing a little bit here this morning. Everybody ready? We're kind of venturing into the mind of God. Now, that makes me incredibly nervous. And uh, Pastor Joey, he, he uh, y- y'all don't know this, but he's pulling several sound clips out of context of my sermon. He's going to splice them all together and make me sound like an idiot, okay? But one of them he loves to always play for me is one time I stood up here and I said something like, I'm the dumbest pastor on earth, okay? And, uh, and so the reason I say that is whenever we venture into the mind of God, I personally get nervous, okay? Because I don't want to tell you here's what God thinks, but I do want to preach the word of God to you, okay? And the easy thing for me to do would be to skip over this passage altogether just because it makes us uncomfortable, I can't do that this morning. And the first thing I want you to see as we venture into the wisdom of God, 9 through 11, is, is that, that God is all, what is the purpose of God? And I've said this before, I've said this many times in my preaching, what is the purpose of God? The purpose of God is to reveal his glory, church. The purpose of God is to reveal his glory. That's the chief goal of God, the God who is, is to reveal his glory. Now look at what Paul says in Romans nine seventeen. For the scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout what? All the earth. Now, he seems to be jumping around here, so I want to back up for a moment, okay? Let's talk about why Paul is using this as an illustration. All right, remember the story of, of the Old Testament. It's very important here. In Genesis, God is talking about how he's going to reveal his glory, how he's going to bless all the nations through the promise he made to Abraham, okay? And then through that downline, there's a young man by the name of Joseph. And remember, Joseph raises the second in power, and that's kind of the whole end of the book of Genesis. And through Joseph and the way God uses him, the whole nation, uh, his family moves into Egypt. Seventy people move into Egypt. And while they're in Egypt, they kind of incubate in Egypt. And God, through protecting them, births through, I think it's three or four 
generations, burst a great nation, the nation of Israel. Okay, and Egypt likes having them there because it's free work. Okay, they, they enslave the people of Israel. And so God raises up a leader by the name of Moses to lead the children of Israel to the promised land. Okay, is everybody kind of tracking with me? History, this is important. Okay, and so God does to lead them out of Egypt into the promised land. What does he do? He, he sends plagues on the nation of, of Egypt. Plague after plague after plague. Hail, locusts, you know, it goes on and on. Until the final plague of the death angel where the ones that are spared are the ones who have the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And it's what's called Passover. The death angel passes over the home that has the blood of the lamb. Very symbolic of the work of Christ, okay? And so they pass, so the, the, the next morning, the people of Egypt wake up, the firstborn in every household that doesn't have the blood of the lamb on the doorpost is killed. And so the people of Israel are grieving, and they tell the nation of Israel, go, go worship your God. And so they go out, and they, the people of Israel leave, they get kind of backed up to the Red Sea, and they worship God there, and the people of Egypt harden their hearts. Pharaoh hardens his heart. By the way, if you read Exodus 1 through about 14, it says about 40 times that Pharaoh's heart Pharaoh hardened his heart or God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Of those 40 times, it literally flip-flops between Pharaoh and God doing the work, okay? And so Pharaoh uh, here is hard as hard. The people are out there worshiping. They're backed up to the Red Sea. And here comes the most powerful army on earth coming down on the people of Israel. And they're going to kill him. And you know the story, right? That Moses lifts his staff, the Red Sea parts, the people of Israel go across on dry land, and Pharaoh shows up with his army, and he decides, if they could do it, we could do it too. All right? And the Red Sea swallows him up. Now, here's what I want you to see, and this is very important. This huge theme that weaves its way throughout Scripture. Okay, Exodus chapter 14, verse 17. Okay, in light of Romans 9, what we just talked about. In Rome, Exodus chapter 14, verse 17, it says... And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they will charge in after the Israelites. And my great, what? What's it say, church? My great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops and his chariots and his charioteers. And when my glory is displayed through them, all of Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. I want you to get this. Six or 8,000 years later, we are still talking about this story. Why? Because God was doing something. God was revealing his glory. And I've said this many times. There is a theme that runs throughout scripture that says that what God is doing is far bigger than even you. You see, this passage kind of this passage of scripture kind of knocks us backwards because it's no longer a man-centered theology. It is now a God-centered theology that God is ultimately about revealing his glory. What does that mean? What does it mean for God to reveal his glory? Here's what it means. It means that he's going to reveal who he is. He's going to reveal his character. The glory of God is his person. It's who God is. So let me ask you something. Let's, let's pause here and let's, let's unpack this for a minute, all right? Can God reveal his glory by showing us his love? Can God reveal his glory by showing us his love? Anybody? Absolutely, right? Some of you are sitting here in this room. You're a recipient of God's love through his son, Jesus Christ. Can God reveal his glory by showing us his forgiveness? Anybody? Can God reveal his glory through showing us mercy? Yep, anybody receive God's mercy in this room? Can God receive glory by showing us his grace? Absolutely. 
Here's where it gets awkward. Could God reveal his glory by displaying his wrath? Huh? There's an old song, and we were kind of joking about it a couple weeks ago in, in worship meeting before we came out here and, and uh, we're, before we were praying, but the old song, Our God is an Awesome God, remember that song? You know what that, sto- that song is actually about? It's actually about, it's not awesome like pizza is awesome type thing. It's actually the awesomeness of God's wrath. If you know the, the lyrics to that song, we all love the chorus. That's what I always love about that. Can, let me ask you something. Can God reveal his glory by showing off his justice? Absolutely. Church, we, we worship an awesome God who is going to reveal his glory, no doubt about it. And that's what Paul's reminding us here. His glory will be revealed. And now before we delve deeper into this passage, which is going to make many of us in this room uncomfortable, I want to remind us something. We're about to delve into what a, some mysteries of God. One of my elders, Jimmy Martin over here, he reminded me of a great verse that a couple weeks ago as we were talking. And so I want to be cautious here, okay? And while we're going to be bold about the word, we're going to be cautious and understand there's some mysteries here that we're talking about this morning. Deuteronomy 29, 29 reminds us of this when we delve into the mysteries of God. It says, the Lord our God has secrets that are known to who? No one, see? See, we're going we're to come uncomfortably close to some of those secrets here this morning. We're not accountable for them, but we, are, we and our children are accountable forever for all he has revealed to us so that we may obey on all the terms of these instructions. Remember I told you that Romans chapter 9 through 11 is one section. As Paul is wrapping up this section in Romans 11, here's what he says in Romans eleven thirty-three: Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his what? Decisions and his what? Ways. See, see, God is not completely knowable. It's like trying to explain how babies get out of tummies to a five-year-old. Okay, Difficult. That's what, that's what we're struggling with. John MacArthur, I've leaned into heavily his commentaries on this. This is what he said about this passage. He says, And yet, when the deepest meanings and implications of this passage are carefully considered especially its unambiguous declaration of God's absolute and unrestricted sovereign power, even the most devoted believer is left with some profound, what? Mysteries, okay? So point number one I really wanted to pull out of this this morning is that, that God is ultimately, this theme that runs its way throughout scriptures, God is ultimately about revealing his glory, okay? Number two, and it's your point number three. Point number three, that God here in this passage reveals his sovereign patience with all mankind. I put the word men there. I wish I'd put mankind. Oh, you changed it. You're awesome, man. Thank you, Trey. All right, after three services, like, I better get that right. All right, so was it already up there? Yeah, you're good. All right, after first service. So God, God is sovereign patience with all mankind, all right? So the first thing I want you to see out of this passage is that God is sovereign over salvation. This is one of those passages that's abundantly clear on this point. It's abundantly and uncomfortably clear. The word here, and I just want to give you a word in your arsenal, okay? So if you're ever doing further reading or a commentary or whatever, the word here that's often used by commentators is the word election, 
okay? It's the word election. You can write that out next to that. But here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 9, verse 10. It says, This son was our ancestor Isaac. When he married Rebekah, she gave birth to twins. But before they were born, before they'd done anything good or bad, she received a message from God. This message shows that God does what? What's it say? Chooses what? People. How? According to his own purposes. He calls people, but not according to their works, good or bad. She was told, your older son will serve the younger son. In the words of the scriptures, I love Jacob, but I rejected Esau. Now, let me talk a couple words about God's sovereignty over salvation. Number one, okay, number one, the Bible is clear that God saves people by grace alone, okay? It's by grace alone that God saves people. Number two, now here's the tension, all right? I want to talk a little bit about biblical balance, ready? Let's talk a little bit about biblical balance. I think a lot of times when we talk about biblical balance, what we want to talk about is find some middle ground, right? Hey, let's find the balance in this, this middle ground. I always say this, the Bible actually, when it comes to balance, it stretches us to think as far this way as we can think and to think as far this way as we can think, okay? So the balance in this is that humanity, according to God, is still completely responsible for our life choices, okay? This doesn't let anybody off the hook. In fact, we could go passage after passage in the book of Joshua. Choose this day whom you will serve. Hebrews 4 says, today is the day of salvation. Next week, we're going to look at Romans chapter 10. It says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved, right? Y'all, some of you know that verse. So we got these tensions in Scripture. They're, they're tensions to manage. They're not problems to solve. They're, they're mysteries for us to get our heart and mind around. But I do believe that the means that God uses to save people is the preached word through the work of the Holy Spirit. It's why I'm so passionate about the local church, because God doesn't have another means to save people. Even though he chooses for his purposes, the way he does it is the work of the local church. That's why I'm so passionate about each and every one of you being a part of Coast Community Church. Your ministry, whether you're greeting, whether you're doing children's, youth, missions, parking, hospitality, the list goes on and on. You are a part of what God is doing so people will have the name and fame of Christ impressed upon their hearts. Now, if you're like me, and we just talked a little bit about this doctrine called election, okay, if you're like me, you have some questions. You would love to have, have God here right now and say, hey, I've got a cu- couple questions for you, right? Anybody else here have any questions? Just me? Yeah, I got a couple too, all right? If you're like me, one of the questions is like, man, that doesn't really seem fair. Does anybody have that question? I have that question. Does anybody have the question that says, um, if, 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 God cho- if it's the work of God, then, then how is he still holding people responsible? Anybody have that question? I'm the only one with that question? A couple of y'all, right? Well, here's the cool thing, right? You're in luck because this passage actually addresses those two questions. Isn't that cool? The bad part is you're not going to be very comfortable with the answer, okay? That's the, that's the uncomfortable part here this morning, okay? So ready? Let's take a look at this. Tough question number one. Is this fair? Is God fair? Romans 9, 14 says, Are we saying then... That God was what? Unfair. There's the question, right? Here's Paul's answer. Of course not. For God said to Moses, I will show mercy on anyone I choose, and I will show compassion on anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. For the scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my what? Power. 
in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. So you see, God chooses to show mercy to some and he chooses to harden the hearts of others so they refuse to listen. That's tough, isn't it? That's hard to, that's a tough pill to swallow. I believe what one of the things that Paul's saying here is God can display his glory by offering the grace of Christ and the mercy of God to some, and, and God can display his glory by punishing sin, disobedience, and injustice. Again, that's a tough pill to swallow. But you know, you do this too. Did you know that? You do it too. I, uh, my wife, I've been kind of a bachelor for the last two weeks. My wife went, went on vacation last week, and then and this week she's uh, down in Honduras. So <clears throat> I've had the joy of, I miss her. I miss her, but I've gotten to watch a few guy movies. You know what I'm saying? I got to watch a guy movie last week. I was interested, I've been interested in watching it. I watched Zero Dark Thirty. I just, and whether it's true or not, I don't know. I just wanted to watch the take on uh, the killing of Osama bin Laden. How many of y'all remember May 2nd, 2011? I remember it, right? I remember late at night, the press release started to come out. Osama bin Laden was possibly shot and killed. The president was going to address us later in the night. I think he got on after 11 or 12 o'clock. Man, I waited up for anticipation. Remember what happened on the White House lawn that, that night? Remember? People gathered and they were celebrating. By, by the way, did, did anybody ever... Did anybody uh, see an article the next day or hear a, news, a newscast the next day talked about how, how unfair it was? Anybody hear that? I didn't hear it anywhere. You know why we didn't hear it? Because justice was served. I remember 9-11. I remember that there were 3,000 men, women, and children that innocently went to work and their lives were taken because some radical decided it was time for their lives to be ended. And if you were like me, you're like, justice is served. Now, church, I want to pause here for a minute. This is where this gets uncomfortable. We have to remember where we came from. Remember Romans 1, 2, and 3? And we talked about the darkness and the depravity of sin and what it has done to the human race. I believe there will come a moment, even when God reveals his justice on sin, we're going to step back and we're going to go, wow, that's the God who is. And that's an uncomfortable truth. And we're venturing in the mind of God. And I hope when you leave here today, I'm not trying to spin this church up. And I'm not trying to put a label on myself. I'm trying to preach the word of God. And I think it's incredibly clear here that God will be glorified when God judges sin, finally. The second tough question is this. Paul asks it. Well, then why are people responsible? I mean, God's doing it. Why are people responsible? Verse 9, 9, verse 19 says, Well then, you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them to do? Paul says, verse 20, No, don't say that. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, Why have you made me like this? When the potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have the right to use the same lump of clay to make, the, make one jar for decoration and another one to throw into the garbage? Verse 22. In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger in his power, he is very, what? What's it say? He is very patient with those on whom his anger falls, who are destined for destruction. He does this to make the riches of his what, church? 
See, God's about showing off his glory. Make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those whom he shows mercy, whom were prepared in advance for his glory. Verse 24. And we are among those whom he selected, both from the Jews and from the Gentiles. Now, a couple parts to this answer. Number one, Paul says, the potter has the right over the clay. Now, this is not something that Paul just pulled willy-nilly out of his head, okay? This is, you can write this down and look it up later, okay? This is Jeremiah 18, and it's Isaiah 64. This is Old Testament stuff that, that God has been revealing. He, he, he is the art, he's the artist, is what he is. And he's got the right to display his glory however he chooses. And God is bringing glory to himself however he chooses. Now, I will say this in, in verse 20. 21 and 22, Paul here is illustrating by asking the question, what if, what if God, and I think sometimes these verses get pushed too far, and I honestly, I'm never sure as I read it if he's saying this is how God works, or God, what if God, maybe he's not working that way, I'm not completely sure, what I am sure though is Paul is declaring that as God, he has the sovereign right over the clay, over his artwork, to declare his glory however he chooses, that's what I'm sure of out of this passage, but we do have to be careful not to push this too far. The final thing I want to pull out of this this morning before I wrap this up is the word patient. I love that. God's being patient. God's being patient with all those who don't know him. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, this is where Peter's take on this. And by the way, it's Peter's verse is in the context of why hasn't Jesus returned yet? It says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being what? Patient. Why? For your sake. He doesn't want anyone to perish or be destroyed. By the way, do you see the duplicity here of what we're talking about? You see the heartbeat of God? God is not for destruction, but God is for justice. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to do what? He wants everyone to repent. Let me park here for a minute. You know, we've been talking about God's sovereignty over salvation and all that, and next week we're actually going to unpack the, the responsibility of humanity, okay, to get right with God, and we're going we're gonna to live somehow between these two tensions as a church and as a people, but some of you in this room, you've heard the gospel preached week in and week out. You've heard it preached week in and week out. You've heard how you, your righteousness is never earned. It's got to be declared, and it's going to be granted to you by grace alone through faith alone. And if that's where you are and you keep rejecting that truth, you keep rejecting that truth, and you keep rejecting that truth, I'm going to tell you, you personally are going to stand before God without excuse. Without excuse. And if you're sitting here and as the work of the Spirit and the Word is preached, which I think is the means of God's grace, and you, see, you feel this warming to the things of the Spirit, wow, how awesome that the God of the universe has taken an interest in you. And you better repent and you better get right with God. And you better not put it off for another day. Church, we are never promised another day. Never. Never. And that's why there's some urgency in this. In fact, the next couple chapters we're going to look at how Paul says... By the way, for those of you thinking that I now think that what we should do because God is sovereign over salvation, we should sit back and do nothing, couldn't be further from the truth. The means of God's revealed grace is the message of Christ that needs to be taught through the church. And church, Paul says, no one's going to repent and believe if we don't go be on mission 
How's anybody going to know unless someone goes and tells them? Church, every one of you leaves here today, you're on mission with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nothing more important than people know Christ. It's not up to us to know who God does and doesn't choose. I don't know. It's my job to be faithful to the message that he's given me. I know he's changed my life, and I know he has a heartbeat for others to repent, and it's my job to be on mission and teach the word. And if you come to Coastal, we're going to preach the word, and we're going to let the Spirit do the changing. That's what I believe. It's your job. Every single one of you has someone in your sphere of influence that right now is apart from Christ. Man, you got to leave here today with a passion for the mission and message. Now, here's the so what. I put a little so what. Like, guys, I... I knew about a year ago I was going to preach this series, and literally for a year... I have read and reread and prayed about Romans 9. God, how am I going to present this? How am I, going to, I don't want to split the church. That's not my heartbeat. And I know people come down different sides, but it just says what it says. I don't know what else to do with it. And so I, I listed a couple so what's. Like, why, why did I feel the need to preach this? And these are just personal, okay? They're not taken from the text. Just like, here's so what for me. Like, what difference does it make? Number one for me is I've read this and I've spent some time thinking about it and praying about it. This doctrine is two things to me. It is pride crushing and it's humbling to me. It crushes my pride. My salvation has nothing to do with me. It is the sovereign work of God. And church, I'm truly thankful for that. I'm, I'm like, I'm really humbled that of all the people God chose to reveal his glory about the truths of his son, some way he chose this knucklehead standing on stage. And as you guys sat here this morning, you sang about the good goodness of God. He chose you and your tongues to be the praisers of his name here on earth. It's incredible. It's pride crushing. It's humbling. Number two, I rest in a God that saves people. I really rest in that. In fact, I believe it's this concept that God is ultimately sovereign over salvation that lets me know I can't screw it up that bad inside of me. I really can. He's going to see it through. Philippians, Paul says, he who began a good work in you is going to see it through completion. Man, I love that. I rest in that. By the way, it's this concept of Romans 9 that's changed my ministry, actually. It's one of the reasons when I get up here and preach and I'm passionate about the Word of God, and I have a lot of people come up to me like, you're really passionate, you've got all red face. I'm passionate because I think this is the means to God's grace because as you hear the Word, the Spirit connects that Word to your heart and does something supernatural inside of you. If you're a believer, it encourages you and it reminds you of truths you already know. And if you're an unbeliever and your heart starts warming to the truths of God, that's the work of God. Praise God for that. And I rest that he does the work. And it's why I don't do a whole lot of altar calls and let's sing 18 verses. Because if you're wrestling with the Spirit of God right now, praise God, he's at work in your heart. Don't leave here without doing business with him. That's a holy and awesome thing that he does. And so I just rest that God saves people. By the way, if you're a parent, right, and you're bringing your kids up in this world that's really ungodly and not teaching the truths of God and it's really, really scary, I rest in the fact that God is sovereign over my children. Now, I'm, I'm to teach and I'm to do all the things we talked about last week, but at the end of the day, it's the work of, I really rest in that. It's got to be that, right? I can't manipulate them or cajole them. 
I pray even now as my son's in Honduras, I'm like, God, be doing a supernatural work. And while I'm home with my other kid alone, which I never get one kid alone, right, parents, if you have multiple kids, I'm like, wow, God, I got this time with my kid. I'm praying for these opportunities to join God in his supernatural work in their hearts, you know? And I rest in that. And finally, I trust that I will understand more later. I trust that I will understand more of this later. Do I get that we're going to leave here with some mystery and our head spinning? Yes, I get that. I leave here with my head spinning and a little bit of mystery. But I trust that there's going to come a day in eternity future where God's going to unfold his plan. I'm going to go, oh, that's what God was up to. All right? For those of you in here with suffering and illness and your body's breaking down, I believe that God uses suffering to reveal his glory. And I believe you may not see it now, but at some point in the future, he's going to unfold his plan. And you're going to go, oh, that's what God was doing. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says this, is now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in the mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All I know, uh, all that I, na- I know, know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. Paul, here's what he's saying, I see dimly right now. And so I hope you guys will recognize with me as we go up, man, I see dimly. But here's what I want to finish with, okay? The God that we were, the God who is, the God that we worship is a good God. And his glory will be revealed in all things. Whatever you're going through, he can use that to reveal his glory. His glory will be revealed through his grace and his wrath. His glory will be revealed through his holiness and through his justice. His glory will be revealed through his mercy and through his judgment. And all things will declare his glory. God's not wasting anything that can and won't be used to reveal his glory. And finally, as his worshipers here on earth, we trust that God is good. We lean into God's character that he's a good God. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father. I hope this message made some sense this morning because my heart is not to confuse in any way, but my heart is to reveal the God who is. And Romans 9, God is, even Paul finishes in 11 and says, man, this is a little bit mysterious, some of this. And you know what, God, the cool thing is we do worship a mysterious God. You have it figured out. We do not. You're the creator. We're the creature, God, and we bow a knee and and uh, God, we, we rest in who you are and we struggle with the things we don't understand. And and God, for the one in this room that you've been incredibly patient with and the gospel's been preached and the spirit's been tugging, God, that God, they would recognize that you know what? That is the supernatural work of the God of the universe in their heart. God, that today would be the day they quit kicking the can down the road and they, they do spiritual business with you and they give you praise and worship and glory for you working on their heart because you're the God who works all things together for good for those who love God and those who are called according to your purposes. And God, we thank you for your glory. 
And we rest in the truth of your character and who you are. We know that you're a good God, even in the things we don't understand, that you are good. And so as your people this morning, God, we will go out this morning declaring with one voice, God, you are good, and we worship you because of your goodness. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church, this is our offering time. If you're a guest with us this morning, first of all, we're not after your money. Um, This is one of the ways we bring glory to God, by giving back to Him. So if you'd like to join us tonight, you're certainly welcome to, but don't feel any obligation. As a guest, we'd love to have one thing from you on the side of that bulletin. is a connect card or a tear-off if you just fill it out and drop that in the offering plate. We want to send you a thank you card for coming. Uh, You can use that for prayer requests, like Bethany reminded. And uh, church, I look forward to going out with you this morning and some of the mysteries of God and singing uh, about the goodness of God. Joey. Yeah,